So John was reading about Cyrus the Great this morning, and I don't know if you know who Cyrus the Great is. When we read that passage of Scripture out of the book of Isaiah, God says that, that I'm calling you, Cyrus, to, to go out and do great and mighty things. Ultimately, he says, not only am I calling you to do it, but I'm going to go before you and make the path straight for you. That I'm going to remove from you any obstacle that's, that's going to hinder you from fulfilling my will. The Cyrus that they're talking about in that passage of Scripture was called by name by God through the prophet Isaiah. Cyrus did not exist for another 200-something years. And I think God did that to let us know that, that when he sends a prophet out to, to declare a message that it's not just happenstance that it comes about. But oftentimes he gives us specifics. Like in this circumstance, he gave us a specific name. He didn't say that somebody is going to come and I'm going to do these things for him. He said Cyrus is going to come and do these things and that he's going to prepare his way. And Cyrus that he's referring to in history is Cyrus the Great, one of the world's greatest military leaders. And at that time in the world's history, he had conquered more of the world than, than anyone else had during his era. And what Cyrus was being called to do here was this. In the past, we talked about Israel leaving Egypt and going through the wilderness into the promised land, but, but sometime after being into the promised land, they began to forget about God and began to worship other gods and, and just letting ungodly things happen in their communities. And God sent prophets to, to warn them in hopes that they would change their ways, but, but they didn't. And instead, he sent them into exile in Babylon. The Babylonian king came down to Judah and uh, took them captive, took them to uh, uh, his community and kept them there for 70 years. But Cyrus was called to set them free. They had learned what they needed to learn. And he was facing an impossible obstacle. How was he going to enter that community guarded by gates and armies? And let me tell you what he did. The Euphrates River ran through that area. Cyrus took his men downstream and dug trenches out into a basin so that the water from that river would lower down to the point that it was knee-high to a man. And when it was that low... At night, he took his men and snuck under that gate, went into that town, defeated their army without violence, and set Israel free to go back home to rebuild what was destroyed. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Is God's grace being expressed to us 
and given to us even when it seems impossible. That when God calls us to something, He calls us by name. He calls us with a purpose. And there's a way for us to react and there's a way that God will respond. So these passages of Scripture will be coming from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease they had. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another man steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and ask you to be with us during this time of the worship service. Father God, just send your spirit to come into this place, to dwell amongst each and every one of us. And Father, I ask that you take from me any desire or, or concept or idea of my own that I desire to speak. But let your spirit fill me and let every word that we hear today be a word that comes from your throne that your children may be edified and inspired and hear the call that you put on our lives and know that no matter what the circumstance, we can live it, we can face it, and through you, we can overcome it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love this scripture because it, it talks about something that's really, really important, as you, you can see up there on the screen, and that's the pool of Bethesda. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this passage of scripture, what I think of is a little pool of water sitting out and about somewhere. And when I hear that the people were laying uh, on the steps next to it, that, that's what I picture. I, I really picture just a small pool that's really insignificant to its community with all these people laying around. But when we look to the history of, of this, this pool, we find that it's more than just a pool. That it served a great purpose in the history of Israel. You see, the two big squares that you see over here that are highlighted with which that highlights the pool of Bethesda, that is the pool. Now, to me, that's not a pool. That's a, that's a large body of water. And in reality, that's what it is. The, the uh, building that you see to your immediate right is actually a basin that feeds water into the lower portion. And the importance of that in Jewish tradition and Jewish history is this. These pools were meant for spiritual cleansing. 
a spiritual healing, that, that when the Jewish people encountered certain things in life or, or performed certain acts, they had to be ritually cleansed. And in order to do that, they would go into this pool for a spiritual cleansing. And they would call that the living water. And it was called the living water because that water had to be moving. A stream fed into the first pool, collected the water, and then flowed into the second. And it's important to know that the scripture said that it was near the sheep gate. And if you see the word where it says Anatona, there's, a, there's an opening right behind that little doorway. And that's known as the sheep gate. After Cyrus set Israel free to, to go back home to, to rebuild the walls and the temple in Jerusalem, one of the first gates rebuilt and the only one consecrated was the sheep gate. And that was the gate that the sacrificial, sacrificial lambs were brought into and taken to that pool for cleansing before they were offered on the altar as a sacrifice. And I think it's important to know that Because when you see the picture of what was taking place, you understand. These aren't just people who were coming there because they heard a tale that an angel would stir the waters. And they would have the opportunity to get in and hopefully be healed. But they knew that healing took place at these waters. Though I think it was more spiritual healing than physical healing. You see, I don't know that, that a physical healing ever took place. It may have, but we have nothing recorded in, in biblical history that says that it did. But we do know that the people went there for that reason, to be healed. The lame, the blind, the lepers. Searching and hoping to be healed so that they can enjoy the life that God had for them. Because they knew that God can make a way where there is no way. And I think that's what Jesus saw when, when he went to the well that day. Is that he went out there and he saw all these people that were going to this well with hope that something there would change their lives that somehow they would see the, the ripple of water and, and one of them would be the first one to get in that water and experience the healing powers that those water offers. But I think the healing that, that took place there was so much more than a physical healing. I think first and foremost what took place there is a lesson that, that we can learn and that is a lesson of patience and a lesson of hope. You see, the, the people would not have gone there unless they were expecting something to happen. And I think that's how we are with Christ sometimes. That, that we, when we look at our lives and we want to move forward and we have this passion or desire to, to do something in life and we don't know how to make it happen, we want to run to God and say, God, how do we make it happen? Because we don't have the resources. We don't have the physical capabilities of it being brought about under our own power. 
And then we find ourselves waiting for God to move. And that is a difficult thing for us to do is waiting on God because I don't know about you, but I am not the most patient person in the world. And my wife is down here shaking her head in agreement to that. You know, for five years I knew I was coming to Savannah, Georgia, the area thereof. And I had no idea how that was going to happen. Because I didn't know how I was going to get the resources to make the move. And I didn't know how I was going to have a job or, or how my family would get here. But that passion and that, that desire was there no matter what life looked like. And no matter what the circumstances were, we knew that what God had put in our heart was true and would be fulfilled. But what we had to learn to do was let go of the desire to, to do it ourselves. Because, see, sometimes we, we interject our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own concepts in, into to how we're going to solve a problem, and what we wind up doing is making a bigger mess out of it than what we started with. You see, if we just learn to let go and let God, God will make a way in his time. Proverbs says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And let me tell you, that is hard to do. Because we are people who like to, to be in control of things. We're taught that from the day that we're born. That we're in control of our lives and how we live, whether we clean up or, or remain unclean. How we choose to respond to life circumstances and how we choose to be as a people. That's control that, that we have over ourselves. And those decisions and the way that we act and we re, the way that we respond to those circumstances will dictate where life goes for us. If we make unhealthy decisions, that will lead us down a path that, that is not filled with blessing. And even if we make healthy decisions at the wrong time of our own will, even when we're hearing the Spirit of God moving our heart, telling us, no, now is not the time, and no, that is not the way. Sit down, be still, and wait upon the Lord. When we ignore that decision, we'll find that the blessing doesn't come. But you see, we, we think of the blessing as the goal that we're going to achieve. The object of our desire. But the true blessing is this. And that's experiencing God along the journey. Learning to be patient. Learning to wait. Because you see, when we become patient and, and able to wait, we give anxieties over to God that we don't need to carry. I don't have to be in, in such a rush today to, to get to tomorrow that, that I don't get to live today. And I think that's one of the things that, that God points out to us about his relationship with us. When he says, lean not onto your own understanding, but, but trust in me. For my grace is sufficient for today. 
if I spend all my time planning for tomorrow, and if I spend all my time hoping that today hurry up and passes away so that I can get to that goal one day, two day, or ten years down the road, then I have missed all that life and all those relationships. But when we slow down, let me tell you what we get. We get the blessing of knowing who our wives and children and husbands truly are. We get to experience life with them. Celebrate with them their victories and mourn with them over their losses. We get to know intently who they are as a people, what's important to them, what they love, what drives them, and what they hope for their future. And we get to be Christ in the lives of others because we get to take our time to reach out to those in need And not just help them, but be a friend and a companion to someone who is lacking. And in all that, the thing that we look back on and realize that we've learned, and the most important to my mind is this, that we learn to live out one of the greatest commands created. Because see, when the Pharisees were trying to, to trap Jesus and get him to contradict himself, they asked him, what is the greatest command? And Jesus answered, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. So we fulfill that command and that we love our neighbor and we look back and learn how much we've become dependent and how knowledgeable we've become of God and his intimacy with us. See, those are the true blessings. And I think that's what the people at the well of Bethesda can teach us. But they can also teach us this, that God wants more for us than sometimes what we consider. Now, I am not by any means a prosperity preacher. Life happens. That's the reality of it. We hurt, we suffer, we endure loss, and we endure hardships. God never says none of that stuff will happen. But if we cling to the words that Paul gave us, then we can understand the Christian walk a little bit better. Uh, he said that, I know what it is to be in need, 
and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that does not mean that I can be whatever I want to be. That passage of Scripture is intended to speak to us about our character, about who we are as a people and how we respond to life. That not only does God give us grace, but that we live our lives responding to God and life with grace. And I think that when we come to that point in our life that's different for everyone, when God has seen that, that we've learned the things that we need to learn that, and that it's time to move forward, that, that we don't have to look at whatever mission it is that, that God has put before us and say that we can't do it, that there's no way possible, that there aren't resources and there aren't ways available. Because Christ shows us here that amongst these people who have valid reasons for not being able to do things, that when he comes to the man, and says, do you want to be healed? He says, somebody beats me to the water. I can't get there fast enough because of my infirmity. He didn't say, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. I want to carry out a mission. He said, I can't do it. Now, he wasn't putting up excuses, and I know that's a term that we use a lot nowadays, but, but we have to understand that there is a difference between a valid reason and an excuse. An excuse is something that we throw out there to say that we can't do something that we can do. But a valid reason is something that we can't control. It is something that, that stands in our way. It's something that we would look at and say or take from our life. His valid reason is I can't get to the pool because I can't walk and no one can carry me there so the other person gets there before me. Therefore, I can't get healed. And that's what he was saying to Jesus. And I think sometimes that, that when God looks at us in our lives and he asks us, do we want to be healed? Meaning, do you want to be spiritually healed? Do you want to move to your next step of understanding of who God is? Or your next level of spiritual maturity? Do you want to go that far? Or even if you're looking at, at that new career that's out in front of you and you hear God say, do you want to be healed? Meaning, do you want to have the ability to go a little further or a little higher than where you're at now? Or when you look to a future where you have a hope and a vision and you see no possible way when you look to the future and you see that, that there's a circumstance that stands in front of you that is valid, but you can't get beyond it, that you can't come up with a plan and you can't get enough resources to move that obstacle, it's not a reason to say, no, we're not going to move forward. It's not a reason to say we're going to quit. But it's a reason to say, be still, trust in the Lord, 
because his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. We say it every Sunday, unless I forget to say it, which I do sometimes. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when God is ready to execute his will in his perfect timing in our lives, he will. When Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? You can say yes. But I think grace comes in when it happens like this. When God says, do you want to be healed or, or do you want to move forward or, or do you want to experience me in new and mighty ways and we say that we can't, God prepares that way for us anyhow. Because that's what he did for the man here. Do you want to be healed? And he said, I can't get there on my own. He gave a valid reason and God looked at that reason and he said that my power and my authority is greater than your reason. Pick up your bed and walk and therefore he picked up his bed and he walked and this was done on the Sabbath and it is important to understand that. That God on Monday is the same God that we serve on Sunday. And if he's going to call you to repentance or if he's going to call you into relationship or he's going to call you into a call to service, those miracles can be done on Sunday. And our acts of worship and our acts of love toward others doesn't have to stop because it's Sunday. Christ didn't stop, we don't stop. So as a close, let me ask you this. Do you have a valid reason in your life why something is not happening? And have you given up hope on, on your mission or your vision because of the lack of validity? Because if you have, let me say to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay at that pool and wait for the healing powers because God has not stopped believing in you. He has not ended your journey. But wait for him to come forward and say that in spite of your circumstance, pick up your mat and walk. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we, as we close this part of the service, Father, we just ask that you be with us as we go out into the world to teach others and to love others and to experience you in ways that we've never experienced you before. Help us, Father God, to know when we need to wait and help us to, to learn all those things and experience you. Help us, Father God, to live and experience life in those times of waiting, knowing that, that those times are precious times spent with you and it is time that you have given us to love those around us and prepare us, Father, for that day 
when you come forward with healing, when you come forward and say now is the time to move forward, when you come forward and say that now the circumstances will change into your favor, help us to be that person who is ready to receive that blessing and not just receive, but to be a witness to those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Peace go before each and every one of us as we leave this building, empowered by the Holy Spirit, trusting in our Lord our God through the blood of Christ.